Well, good morning, everybody. We're glad you're here. I'm sorry, yeah, I'll take care of that in a moment. Um, by the way, if you're visiting with us for the first time, we want to welcome you this morning, and we hope that you'll be blessed here uh, this morning. Elementary, uh, you're dismissed at this time. Youth, you're also dismissed as well. And for the rest of us, let's turn in our Bibles to Mark chapter 4. If you have your Bibles or if you have a Bible app on your phone, go ahead and turn there at this time. Mark chapter 4. All of a sudden it's gotten very quiet. Mark chapter 4. And verses 35 to 41, which says this. On the same day when evening had come, he, Jesus, said to them, the disciples, let us cross over to the other side. Now when they had left the multitude, they took him along in the boat as he was. And other little boats were also with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves beat into the boat so that it was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on a pillow. And they awoke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Then he arose and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. But he said to them, Why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? And they feared exceedingly and said to one another, who can this be that even the wind and the sea obey him? Let's pray. Father, as we look at this story of Jesus calming a storm and we draw lessons from this, we pray that you would teach us and speak to us and pray also that you would minister to us as well. Thank you for what you'll do in Jesus' name. Amen. Just curious, have any of you ever heard the name Bob Ross? All right, I see some hands. If you're not familiar with the name, you might be familiar with his appearance, and especially that head of hair that he had. You cannot miss that head of hair in a crowd of people. Well, Bob Ross was a painter, and he used to have a weekly program on public television called The Joy of Painting. He would do these beautiful landscape paintings right off the top of his head without even looking at a landscape. He was a very gifted painter, and he was also one of those very positive people. If you've probably met people like that, just a very positive personality. He died in 1995, but his fame grew after his passing, especially in recent years. Nowadays, you can find his appearance on so many different things. You can find it on T-shirts, playing cards, bobbleheads. In fact, just last month, my wife and I, um, we were down in Southern California visiting her family, and when we were down there, we went to a place called Rocket Fizz. And if you're not familiar with Rocket Fizz, they have these various soda pops and candies that are more like novelty items. And sure enough, they had Bob Ross soda pops. They had Bob Ross mints. It's crazy. But his claim to fame was painting. And this is an example of one of his paintings that you're about to look at. He would do these paintings on camera in under 30 minutes. He made it look so simple. This is a painting that he titled Storm on the Horizon, depicting a storm that's on its way. As followers of Jesus Christ, there are times in our lives when there's a storm on the horizon, a storm in life. Now, when I refer to a storm in life, I'm referring to this. Any trying circumstance 
where your faith in God is being put to the test. That's what I mean by a storm in life. And if you follow Jesus long enough, you know that being a Christian does not make you immune to storms in life. I'm sure you know that for yourself. Having said that, have you ever had moments where you've experienced a storm and it crossed your mind, Lord, what did I do to deserve this? It happens to us. Now, you may have just started following Jesus Christ. You might be new to the faith. You're just learning to walk this Christian life. And the thought of going through a storm in your own life seems so foreign. You'd think, oh, it's going to be happily ever after. It's wonderful. If that's you, get ready. Because it's coming. The storm's on its way. It's inevitable. We're not immune to them. That's the bad news. Here's the good news. God is active in the storms in life that we face. That's the good news. He doesn't leave us on our own. He is active in those storms. But how is he active? Well, that's what we're about to find out. The story we're going to look at this time is an instance in which Jesus and his disciples are going to encounter a very violent, dangerous, chaotic storm. And we're going to see what happened before the storm, during the storm, and after the storm. And we're going to see principles and lessons from this passage that, which we'll see how God is active in the storms in life that we face. So let's jump into that right now. Mark chapter 4, in the first two verses that we're looking at, verses 35 to 36, we're going to look at what happened first before the storm, beginning with the agenda. Like at verse 35. On the same day, when evening had come, he said to them, let us cross over to the other side. Now, if you were to read what Mark had said up to this passage, and if you were also to compare it with what Matthew writes in his account, you would find that it had been a very long, eventful day for Jesus. Earlier in the day, after he delivered somebody from demon possession, there were a group of scribes and Pharisees that came to Jesus from Jerusalem, and they made false claims about him, saying that he was casting demons by the, out of people by the power of Beelzebub, which couldn't have been further from the truth. And so Jesus had some very strong words to say to them. Then his own family came to him, his brothers, his mother, and they wanted to meet with him. In fact, according to Mark's gospel, earlier it said that his own wanted to take him with them. And it's very possible that that could have been referring to his own family. Maybe wanting to take him home, possibly. Well, Jesus got word of, their, of his family arriving, and he said this, Whoever does the will of God is my brother and my sister and mother. Jesus wasn't going anywhere. He loved his family, but he wasn't going to head home with them. He's going to continue his ministry. Then Jesus and his disciples come to the Sea of Galilee. This is all on the same day. They come to the Sea of Galilee, and there's a huge crowd that gathers. And this is when Jesus begins to teach the people in parables and then later explains the parables to his disciples. A very long, eventful day for Jesus. Now it's nighttime. They're still at the Sea of Galilee. The multitude of people are still there. And it's time to break away. And so Jesus says to his disciples, all right, let's get in the boat and we're going to go across the Sea of Galilee. Let's take a break. Now, at this point, they were on the western side of the Sea of Galilee, and they wanted to cross over to the eastern side. 
And part of that was for Jesus to continue his ministry. And I'm sure part of it was also just to take a break. Again, it had been a very long day. They agree to leave. That's the agenda. And so now in verse 36, we see the departure. Now when they had left the multitude, they took him along in the boat as he was, and other little boats were also with him. So Jesus had been teaching the multitude for quite some time that day. It's time to leave. Jesus was already in the boat when he was doing the teaching. Now the disciples get in the boat, they shove off, and now they're on their way to the opposite side of the Sea of Galilee. There's other boats that are in the vicinity. What would happen with them, we're not told. All the focus is now going to be on Jesus and the disciples in this boat and this storm that they're about to encounter. Now, by following Jesus' lead, the disciples are going to face a very severe storm. Listen, following Jesus can sometimes cause you to face storms in life. That's inevitable. Following Jesus can sometimes cause you to face storms in life. And the storms can take form in different ways. It can take form of persecution. In fact, his, Jesus' disciples would experience that in their own ministry. You can read through the book of Acts. If you know what's in there, you know the persecution that the disciples went through after Jesus was resurrected. Persecution, it's happened to believers throughout centuries. If you're familiar with church history, I'm sure you know many stories where believers were persecuted for their faith, a severe storm in their lives. Today, there's, there are believers in other parts of the world that are persecuted for their faith in Jesus Christ. It can take form in persecution. Storms can also take form in conflict with others because of your faith in Jesus Christ, apart from persecution. You might have coworkers, friends and family that don't understand you, that don't know the Lord. And so they might mock you because of Christ in your life. Well, why are you following Jesus? That's, you know, that's terrible. And so they can mock you. Um, you may make certain decisions based on your, your walk with the Lord that may lead to conflict with others that don't follow Jesus. It could be decisions regarding work, decisions regarding school, decisions regarding where to live, and for some decisions regarding ministry. That can be a source of conflict with those that don't know Christ. Decisions that as a, as a child of God you would make that others do not understand. But then get this. There may be times in which God may personally lead you into a storm in life. And someone might ask, would God really do that? At times, maybe. He might use the storm in your life to correct you. There may be some way where God may want to correct you, and he'll use the storm to do that. Remember Jonah? He did that with Jonah. One day, God spoke to him and said, I want you to preach to the Ninevites, who were a very evil group of people. And Jonah thought, nope, I'm going the other way. And that's what he did. He got on a boat, went the opposite way of Nineveh, wanting to stay away from there. And so God had to correct him. A tempest happened in the water, literally a storm right then and there. Jonah knew what that was all about. And so he told the crew, on, crew members on the boat, you know what, this storm that's happening, this is my fault. <laughs> um, sorry, guys. I'll tell you what, toss me overboard, and when I'm overboard, this storm will calm down. 
and the crew thought, oh, okay, and they tossed them overboard. And sure enough, the storm ceased. A big fish swallows up Jonah. Incredibly hot, incredibly humid, incredibly intense conditions inside this fish. You think, you think by now Jonah would finally concede and go to Nineveh? Oh, no. He was so stubborn, so set in his ways, it took him three days under those intense conditions to finally concede and say, God, you win, I'll go to Nineveh. The fish spits him out, and off to Nineveh he goes. It was a way of God correcting him. He could use a storm in your life to correct you. He can also use a storm in your life to develop you into the person that he wants you to be. There's something about how God can use hardships in your life to mold you and to make you into what he intended you to be. James writes about that in James chapter 1, verses 2 to 4. It says this, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. There are many things you're going to learn by reading your Bible. Patience is not one of them. You learn patience hands-on when you're in the storms of life, when you're going through a trying time, and God uses that to develop patience in you. And he can work in other ways through those storms to make you who he wants you to be. God can also use a storm in your life, get this, to equip you to minister to others. He can use a hardship to do that. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 to 4, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our tribulation. Why? That we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. And I'm glad that he does that, and I'll tell you why. When you're dealing with a very trying time in life, who is it that usually ministers to you more? Is it the person that went through something very similar that can identify with what you're dealing with? Or is it the person that's completely clueless about it? There's something about how God uses storms to prepare you and equip you so that you can minister to somebody else who's dealing with a very similar situation. God works like that, and I'm glad that he does that. Now, Jesus was using this literal storm to equip and prepare his disciples because there was a future ministry that he had in store for them. And he's going to lead them into the storm as part of that work in prep of preparation. That brings us to verses 37 to 39, in which we're going to look at what happened during the storm. And it begins with chaos in the water. Look at verse 37. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves beat into the boat so that it was already filling. Now, the Sea of Galilee was nearly 700 feet below sea level, and it's situated in a basin that's surrounded by mountains, and it's susceptible to storms that can happen suddenly. Cool air can come down from the mountaintops, and there might be warm air near the surface of the water, and when, the air, when those two sources of air meet, it can cause sudden violent storms, and they create chaos, turbulence on the water. 
In fact, just 30 years ago when there was a big storm that happened on the Sea of Galilee, waves there were measured as high as 10 feet. Now, to put that in perspective, I'm 5 feet 8. Take my height and on top of that another, what, almost 4 and a half feet. And it gives you an, a, a glimpse of how high these waves can reach on the Sea of Galilee. Now, that's the sea. What about the boat? Well, back in 1986, during a drought that happened at the Sea of Galilee, there was a discovery of a boat that was buried in the mud. And so they were, on, they were able to get the boat out of the mud. And it dated to have existed around this period of time of Jesus. Not this doesn't mean that this was the boat that Jesus and his disciples were in, but it's representative of the kind of boats that existed at the time. The boat that they found measured 26 and a half feet long, seven and a half feet wide, four and a half feet deep, probably close to the height of this pulpit. So just imagine the height of this pulpit being the height of the boat. Then imagine however tall these waves were. It wouldn't surprise me if they were 10 feet. Now, if you've ever been on the sea, maybe you're the type of person that can get very easily seasick just from moderate movement of the boat. You might go out one morning out on the sea and the boat starts to move up and down and up and down like this and the breakfast that you had earlier in the morning decides to come out the other way, looks completely different coming out just from modern, modern movement, uh, just from very moderate movement of the boat like this. Imagine how much worse it would be trying to ride this storm out where the boat's climbing up these big waves going way up, way down, you'd lose your food quickly, way up, way down. Waves crashing against the boat. Water pouring into the boat. Now, many of the disciples were fishermen, and I'm sure experiencing storms were not uncommon for them. But even this storm's freaking them out. Everybody inside the boat is in a panic, except for one person, and he's sleeping. He's sleeping during the chaos. Look at verse 38. But he, Jesus, was in the stern, asleep on a pillow. And they awoke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Question, have you ever known anybody that could sleep through anything? It might be the middle of the night and an earthquake happens. And what hap when happens? If you're wake woken up, you get on Facebook and you start asking around, did you feel that earthquake? It woke me up. And somebody might be on there, yeah, I felt it. And then sure enough, hours later, there's always that one person that says, no, I didn't feel a thing. I slept all through the night. Unfazed. Imagine trying to sleep through this. The, move, the boat moving up and down like this. Water pouring into the boat. Waves crashing against the boat. The noise of the storm. The noise of the disciples panicking. And Jesus is sound asleep. Now I said he had a very long eventful day. Boy, it must have knocked him out that none of this stuff is even waking him up. But the disciples finally do wake him up. And they say, don't you care that we're perishing? Aren't you concerned at all? Now, when they woke him up, according to Matthew's account... They asked Jesus to save them. But think about this, and I'll explain this in a moment. Even though they're asking Jesus to save them, you'd have to wonder if they truly had any faith that Jesus could do anything at all. And I'll explain why. Up to this point in time, 
The disciples have witnessed Jesus do many miraculous things. They've seen him turn water into wine. They've seen him deliver people from demon possession. They've seen him physically heal others. And you might think that this would give them cause to believe that Jesus might at least be able to do something about the storm. But considering how Jesus is going to address the storm, considering how surprised the disciples are going to be in response, and considering how Jesus is going to confront them for their lack of faith, all of which we're about to look at shortly, you really do have to wonder if they believed, if they truly believed, that he could help them in the storm. You know what? Storms in life can reveal to us either our faith or our lack of faith. They can either reveal our faith or our lack of faith. We'll get confronted one way or the other. Have you ever had moments where you faced a storm in life, you prayed to God for help, but you honestly didn't believe that he could do anything about it? Which would raise the question, why pray? If you don't believe God can do anything in the storm, why even ask him for help? I like what one commentator said about this. He wrote, believers today profess trust in Jesus' power over the storms of life. But many fall short of demonstrating that trust when the storms arrive. Beneath a Christian veneer, there often lives a practical atheist. Saying we believe that Jesus can help us takes on a whole new meaning when we actually depend on him for help. It's true. When you face a storm, you're going to get confronted if you honestly believe that God can be of any help at all. And that's going to show you either your faith or your lack of faith. And right here, the disciples have a lack of faith. Jesus is going to get involved in this storm, though. And it's going to lead from chaos to calmness. Look at verse 39. Then he arose and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. So picture this scene. The storm's going on. Everyone's in the panic. And now Jesus, after being woken up, at the very least he sits up. Maybe he even gets up on his feet. Very possible that he did that. He looks toward the storm Again, the disciples are freaking out. He looks toward the storm and he says, peace, be still. Or literally, more literally, be muzzled. Or if you were to put that in more modern vernacular, he said to the storm, be quiet. And the storm calmed down. All of a sudden, this violent, chaotic storm, it ceases to happen. And the conditions on the water that had been so rough, are, it's now transformed from chaos to calmness. Everything has finally calmed down. I wish I could have seen the faces of the disciples when this happened. I could picture their jaws hanging down to about here at this point in time to have witnessed this. Jesus calmed the storm. And it illustrates the truth. God is sovereign over the storms of life. Amen? He's sovereign over the storms of life. When you're facing a storm and it feels like things are out of control, it doesn't mean that God is not in control. And sometimes we might think the opposite. 
When things are so chaotic, we might think it's chaotic in the eyes of God, and it's not. If you forget that God is sovereign over your storm, it can cause you to fix your eyes on the storm instead of fixing your eyes on God. And when your eyes are focused on the storm, you're going to be in a panic. Charles Stanley, who was the pastor of First Baptist Atlanta for many years, and I think had just stepped down last year, he told a story about very early on in his ministry when he went through a very, very trying time. Others within the church knew what was going on, including this one elderly woman. And so she contacted him one day, and she asked if he could come to visit her. And so she did. She leads, them, leads him over to this painting of Daniel in the lion's den. And if you're familiar with the story, you'll recall that there was a decree given in which nobody could pray to any god for 30 days. And it was designed to entrap Daniel, to get him into trouble. Well, it didn't stop him. He continued to pray. And so they capture him, and they send him into the lion's den. Of course, God preserved him in that situation. Well, this elderly lady leads him over. Pastor um, Charles Stanley leads him over to the painting of Daniel in the lion's den. And she says to him, I want you to take a look at this painting and tell me everything that you observe from it. So he looks over the painting and he's describing everything that he sees. But there was one thing that he did not notice. And she picked up on that. And so she said to him, here's what I want you to remember. Daniel's eyes are not on the lion's Daniel's eyes are on God. If your, if your focus is fixed on the storm instead of on God, you will forget very easily that God is in control. And it is so easy for that to happen. And when your eyes are fixed on the storm, it can cause you to be fearful very easily. So easily. Now, Jesus calmed the storm, but the story's not over. We're going to see now what happens after the storm, because Jesus has some things to say. Verses 40 to 41, we get to after the storm, and we're first going to see fear revealed. Look at verse 40. But he, Jesus, said to them, Why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? Again, things have calmed down. But the disciples haven't calmed down yet. They're still in a panic. And it's such a contrast to Jesus. The disciples are freaking out. And Jesus is at perfect peace. Such a contrast. And as I said earlier, Jesus was preparing his disciples for future ministry. And part of that equipping was to challenge their faith, to stretch their faith. And so he was using this storm to do that. Now that the storm's over... Jesus asks them two questions. The first question is this. Why are you so fearful? Now, there are a few different Greek words that translate into our English word fear. And each of these words have their own nuances to them. The word that Jesus used here regarding fearful, it's a word that refers to being cowardly or timid. And you could picture that during the storm. The storm's going on. The disciples were timid. They lacked any courage regarding this. Now that the storm's over, they're still scared. They're still cowardly, and Jesus is confronting them. But then he asks them a second question. How is it that you have no faith? 
See, fear and faith cannot coexist at the same time. You either have one or the other. It's like trying to mix oil and water together. The two do not blend together. They don't mix. Fear and faith don't mix together. Either, you're, either you have one or the other when you're going through a storm. Genuine faith overcomes fear. It overcomes fear. Again, if your eyes are fixed on the storm instead of on Jesus, you're going to have fear. Fear's going to creep in. If your eyes are fixed on Jesus instead of the storm and you're trusting him in the storm, it's going to remove your fear. But it all goes back to where your focus is fixed. Fear and faith cannot coexist at the same time. And as I said earlier, the disciples apparently didn't trust Jesus enough to be able to do anything in the midst of this storm. And that shouldn't have happened. That's why they were so timid. What could the disciples have done in the midst of the storm that they wouldn't have been so timid? Well, they should have remembered something that Jesus said before they went into the boat. Remember what Jesus said? He said, let us cross over to the other side. When he said that, he made his intentions known very clearly. If this storm killed everybody that was on the boat, think about the ramifications of that. They go through the storm. If they all died, not only would Jesus have not made it to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, he eventually would not have made it to the cross, would not have died for our sins. We wouldn't be sitting here together studying God's word together and worshiping him. And he would not be your Lord and Savior if the storms wiped them out. But that was not the case. Jesus made his intentions clear. Nothing was going to stop his plans from taking place, not even a dangerous storm. Listen, don't miss this. Storms in life will not stop God's plans for you from taking place. And it doesn't matter how severe the storm is. They will not stop God's plans for you from taking place. Nothing will. Anything that God has in mind for you, no trying time is going to put a stop to that. In Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, Paul said, being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. God is committed to finishing the work that he has planned for you, that he has in, in store for you. And a storm in life is not going to put a stop to that. And I'll give you a good example of this. If you're familiar with what happened in Paul's missionary journeys in the book of Acts, you'll remember in his third missionary journey, he was on his way to Jerusalem. In fact, it was on his heart to preach to his own people, the Jews. Well, there was a mob that rose against him. But he got the opportunity to speak to them. And so he shares his testimony of Jesus Christ but the mob continued to oppose him. And so the authorities, they get hold of Paul, they take him in the barracks, and they secure him within there. That very evening, or while he was there, I should say, Jesus appeared to Paul and he said to him, Be of good cheer, Paul, for as you have testified for me in Jerusalem, so you must also bear witness at Rome. So Paul knew it was God's plans for him to go to Rome and to bear witness of Jesus Christ. Was anything going to stop that from happening? 
Well, not long after that, there was a group of 40 people that committed themselves to killing Paul. They even said, we will not eat anything, we will not drink anything until we bump off this man. That's how committed they were to killing Paul. Did that mean that it was going to happen and that God's plans for Paul would not take place? Oh, no. The plans were made known. The authorities got word of it, and so they secured Paul, and they took him elsewhere. Not even this mob was going to stop God's plans for Paul from taking place. Later on, Paul would get on a boat, and he would head to Rome. And if you remember the story, he experienced literally a storm, a tempest. The boat's caught in the tempest for several days. Everybody's about to die, supposedly. And if the boat, and if everybody did die, if Paul did die again, God's plans for him to go to Rome would not have happened. But he didn't die. They got shipwrecked, but they survived. And eventually Paul would make it to Rome. The storm never stopped God's plans for Paul. He made it to Rome, and he represented Jesus Christ in Rome. When you truly realize that a storm in life will not stop God's plans for you, it can also help remove your fear. If you know what God has in store for you, and you're facing a very trying time right now, realize it's not going to stop what God has in store for you. And if you realize that and you truly believe that, it's going to help remove your fear. Now, after having seen fear revealed and talking about fear among the disciples, finally in verse 41, we see Jesus revealed. Look at verse 41. And they feared exceedingly and said to one another, Who can this be that even the wind and the sea obey him? That phrase, they feared exceedingly, it could be more literally translated, they feared a great fear. Now, I mentioned earlier how there are different Greek words that translate into the word fear. Unlike in verse 40, where the word that Jesus used talked about being cowardly or timid, this word here in verse 41 is a different word. It refers to being terrified. In fact, it's where we get the word phobia, being terrified. But it can also refer to a reverential fear. And I could certainly see that happening. Having witnessed Jesus put a cease to the storm, I could see them being in awe of what happened, but also terrified at the same time. And so they asked themselves, who is this man that even the wind and the sea obey him? As I said, the disciples witnessed Jesus doing many miracles up until now, but I don't think they compared anything compared to what they've just seen when Jesus calmed the storm. They just got a glimpse of Jesus that they've never seen before. This is not some mere man that's performing these miracles and teaching various things. This is somebody that has authority over the winds and the sea, authority over the storm, the Son of God. They got a glimpse of the Son of God, God himself manifested in the flesh. Storms in life are an opportunity for God to reveal himself to you personally. When you face a storm, that is an opportunity for God to reveal himself to you personally. See, you can read various truths about God in his word, and you may know them up here in your head. It's another thing to know those truths within here in your heart, to know them within yourself. 
It's one thing to know God's traits by what's revealed in Scripture. It's another thing to really know them in real life. For example, his faithfulness. You can read throughout the Bible that testifies of God's faithfulness. Then you experience a storm in life, and God is at work in the storm, and you witness for yourself how he's faithful to you in the midst of the storm, faithful in your own life. And now what you've read in God's word, that's real to you, and you've witnessed that personally. That's one way that God reveals himself to you. Another way is his sovereignty. Again, you're facing a storm, and you realize however God works in in your life and in that storm, you can realize he's sovereign because you see him sovereign in the storm. Some of you have heard me share a story in which I was out of full-time work for a little over two years. I watched God do a number of things with me and a number of things in that storm that I went through. And looking back at those two-plus years, I can see various ways as far as God's hand in the storm that testified of him being sovereign. One thing to read it in here, another thing to experience it in real life, and I saw him being sovereign in the storm that I was dealing with. God can reveal himself to you in the storms that you're dealing with, the truths about him. They can become very real to you. Now, what should you do when you face a storm in life? As I said, God's active in the storms in life that we face, and you can take comfort in that, but maybe you're dealing with a storm in your own life right now. So what should you do when you face a storm? Here are a few suggestions. First, cling to what you know about God. Cling to what you know about God. When you're facing a storm, and tell me if this is true, it can be very easy to view God of what God is like based on your own thoughts and feelings. You ever had moments like that? You might think, oh, God doesn't love me when his word says something different. You need to cling to what you know about God. This is why it's important to take the time to read your Bible, to study your Bible, because when you do that, you're going to see various traits about God, how he works, who he is, And when you know those truths about God and you're dealing with a storm, those truths can minister to you. Again, it could be very easy to view God based on your own thoughts and feelings, and it might not line up with what God's word says. Your thoughts and feelings can mislead you at times. The truth of God's word doesn't. It's important to cling to those truths. Cling to what you know about God. And when you do that, it can help bring you calmness in the midst of a storm in life. That's the first suggestion. Here's the second. Claim to the promises of God. Claim to the promises of God. It's helpful to know what God has promised in his word that can relate to the storm you're facing. For example, in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5, it says, For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. That's a promise. God is not going to leave you in a storm that you're facing. If you're dealing with one right now, you need to know that. He's not going to abandon you. Again, this goes back to taking the time to read and to study your Bible so that you know those truths, you know those promises. And knowing what he's promised can help sustain you and comfort you. And then here's the third suggestion, and this is the one that can be very difficult, but it's necessary. Wait patiently. Wait patiently. God has his own timetable 
of working in the storms that you face. And it's necessary to be patient to allow him to work in his timing. So that's for you if you're a follower of Jesus Christ. If you're not a follower of Jesus Christ and you're dealing with a very trying time right now, what should you do? There's a very simple answer for that. Receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. If you're dealing with a trying time and you do not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, that can change right now. Receive him as your Savior and Lord. I mentioned earlier that God can lead you into a storm. And one reason for that is to show you your need for Jesus Christ to save you from your sins. The Bible says that we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Nobody is an exception to that. And the thought of Jesus Christ coming into your life might have been a foreign thought to you. Then you face a very severe storm, and maybe you've tried to deal with the storm in various ways, and perhaps the thought of Jesus might have been a completely foreign thought to you. And all of a sudden, you decided to show up and go to church. Maybe that's you this morning. God can purposely use the storm in life that you're dealing with to show you your need for Jesus Christ to save you from your sins. God does that sometimes, and that's God working in your life right now, if that is you. He's getting your attention, and he's showing you your need for Jesus. He died on a cross to take the weight and the guilt of your sin, so that if you believe in Jesus Christ and believe that God raised him from the dead, he will save you from your sins You can take comfort that you're on good terms with him and you can know that when you pass from this life that you're going to be in the presence of the Lord. If you're dealing with a trying time and you realize that you need Jesus, don't waste any time. Come to him. All you have to do is believe on him that he died for your sins and ask him to come into your life and he will save you. At the end of the service, there will be a couple people up here at the front, including myself, and we'd love to talk with you more about that if you have any questions and you want to receive Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that you don't abandon us in storms, that you're active in our storms, that you don't leave us on your own. And Father, for those of us that know you and are going through a storm right now, I pray that you would help us to remember what your word says about you and what you've promised that relates to the storms that we're facing. I pray, Father, that you would help us cling to you for those, tr- those truths. And if anybody here, Lord, is not saved and does not know Christ as their Lord and Savior, I pray that you would get their attention and show them their need for Jesus to save them from their sins. And I pray, Lord, that you would work in their lives to bring them to Jesus as their Savior. Thank you for what you'll do in Jesus' name. Amen.